morning. Good to see you all here for worship. Um, how many of us, really all of us, have felt the way this way you know, that this video was describing? How many of us have asked those similar questions? I know I have. Um, there's, a, there's a listening guide if you'd like to follow along. It's in, your, it's in your bulletin, and we'll be walking through some of it. There'll be scriptures, verses on the screens as well if you'd like to follow in that way. Um, but I wanted to start off with a statement that you see in your listening guide. Is, is this, all of us lose our way in life. Every single one of us lose our way. We, we feel lost at times in life when we start asking all sorts of questions about, you know, am I really significant? Does God care about me? Do I really matter? If I disappeared, you know, would anybody notice the fact that I'm not here? And I know for me there have been those moments when I have just felt so tiny and small and insignificant, not because of my stature, but because of my, but because of my choices and because of um, decisions I've made and how it just, there's been times where I just feel so small and insignificant. I, I began to walk with God, really take Him seriously at the age of 18. And I was in college, it was my freshman year, and God brought me out of a really destructive relationship that I had had through high school. And he brought me out of this destructive relationship that was really holding me back in a lot of ways. It wasn't good for me. It wasn't good for, this, for my girlfriend back then. And, and I remember just feeling the sense of freedom and, um, and joy. And, and when I began to walk with God, I really began to just, the lights came on in a lot of different areas of my life. And then I went on a, a missions trip kind of like some of uh, a couple of folks are doing here. I went on a missions trip, spent a month in another country and was serving God in another country and I was kind of on this this high and in the sense a spiritual high like just enjoying what God was doing in my life and enjoying the opportunity to share it with others. And then I come back from my mission trip and within 2 days I found myself um, right back to where I had been about a year before. And so I went from this really really high point and I went home and I dove right back into this destructive relationship. And, um, and I felt like, man, here I am again. Thankfully, I had a good friend who kind of helped me work through some of that and, and really find my way back to, back to God. But I remember thinking, of, I knew what I was doing wasn't pleasing God. I knew my actions, behavior wasn't pleasing Him. And I felt, because of that, like I was so distant. I just felt like, man, why would God want to take me back? After I've kind of stepped on, you know, the new life he's given me, now I've gone and, and just done my own thing. I've lost my way again. And, and why would God want to bring me back? And, and you might be in a similar place today um, where you, you just feel maybe somewhat disconnected. Or at times, maybe not today, but at times you just feel because of your actions or because at times you lose your way that you just don't matter to God. Why would he want to know you? And maybe you can identify with this roller coaster that I was describing, maybe, you know, you've, you've asked that same question. Why would God take me serious after living the way I've lived? Or maybe God has been nowhere on your radar at all, not even a blip on your radar. You just have lived life completely independent from him. You've, you've, you've not acknowledged any relationship with him in your life. And, and um, it's knowing him and relating to him has just been a foreign concept. And so um, again, you might be asking this question, why, why would God care about me? I've, I've removed him from my life. I've left him out of the picture. Or maybe you're just buried in guilt. Maybe right now in your life, you've made some choices or you've, you've, there's been a, 
series of decisions that have brought on a tremendous amount of guilt to where you're thinking that God wouldn't care about you. He wouldn't want to um, have you back. And, and I think these are all very normal thoughts. It's certainly things I've thought and I think from this video, really descriptive of our condition, how we, we hit these ups and downs in life. And we assume that God would only take time for perfect people. We assume, why would God take time for me with all of my flaws, with all my mistakes? He's too busy with all the people that seem to get it in life. He's too busy with all the people that seem to follow him to, to, to notice me because of my mistakes. And this morning, what I'd like to do is I'd like to launch into a new series just for a few weeks to talk about what the Bible says is on God's heart. It's really helpful to know what really matters to God, what is high up on his value list. And I want to look at that over the next three weeks. Jesus, while he was on the earth, Jesus was God himself. He came in the form of a man about 2,000 years ago. And he showed us through his life what was truly important to God. He showed us what mattered to God. And what I'd like to do this morning is share with you a passage of Scripture from Luke chapter 15. Luke is in the New Testament, the second part of the Bible. And if you'd like to follow along, if you have a Bible, you can, or it's up here. But I want to look at Luke chapter 15 because it gets, in this passage, it gives us a very, very clear picture of what's on God's heart and how that relates to us. And we're going to look at three stories that really describe Jesus, uh, or God's value uh, system. And so I want to take a look at this together with you. We'll start at Luke 15, 1 and 2, and it starts with some criticism that Jesus gets from some people that just tended to really go after Jesus and his ways of doing ministry. And so this is John 15, 1 and 2. It says, Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear him. So hearing Jesus. They all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they muttered, This man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. It's really interesting. What you see in the Bible is you see Jesus was like a people magnet. And people nothing like Jesus really liked Jesus. People that had different value structures, different you know, uh, priorities in their life, they were just attracted to Jesus because there was something really different about him and very appealing to them. And his critics, there were some religious critics here that you see in this verse, these, this group called the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. These were the real strict conservative religious leaders of that day. They could not see how Jesus could associate with uh, sinful people, with people who had lost their way in life, who, like us, don't have it all together. So there was these people that, were, that had lifted themselves up and they started criticizing Jesus for hanging out with people who um, didn't have you know, a relationship with God. He describes, or in this passage you see there's tax collectors, that they enjoyed time with Jesus. The tax collectors were despised by most of their own people. They were Jewish people who worked for the Roman government, and so they were despised because they were taking their money, their own people's money, and they were working for a government that oppressed their own people. And so they weren't real popular, the tax collectors, but they, they really enjoyed spending time with Jesus. They had banquets and parties, and we looked at this a few weeks back. And then there's another group that um, the verse says that sinners were spending time. This is just people who were far from God. They, they were not people who were a church-going bunch, but they enjoyed time with Jesus. And so his critics, they just started murmuring. And at different points in my life, I could kind of identify with both groups. There's been times when I feel like 
I've been distant from God, and I, I, and I want to be in his presence. I'd like to spend time with him. Even though I've got mistakes, and even though I lose my way in life, I can identify with the tax collectors and the sinners in that there's just times when I've been desperately wanting to, to reconnect. And then on the other hand, I can also identify with these religious critics because you look at our world and you look at the depravity of our, of our society and just the things that go on in, in, in this world and you, you wonder, how could God love this world? You know, the Bible says God loved the world or He so loved the world that He sent His Son. You think, man, of all that we've done in this world to remove God and just to take Him out of the picture... It's easy to see where these critics are coming from in in one sense. But Jesus, what he does through this verse is he answers three. He answers all the questions of the critics. He answers the questions from the video we looked at in three short stories. And he he clues us into what's really on his heart. And and it might surprise you. So um, Luke 15, verse 3 through 7 is the first story he tells. And it's a parable, which is a short story. And here's what it says. It says, then Jesus told them this parable. This is how he answers their criticism. He tells them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And then when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost sheep. Then he says, I tell you, in the same way... There will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So he tells this story. He casts this story alongside real life and he says, hey, let me relate this to something that you're familiar with. This was a, a farmer, rancher, society. They were familiar with sheep and you know cattle and livestock. That's, that's how they survived, made their living. And so this was common for them to hear about. But for us, it's kind of a foreign concept to hear about Losing a sheep. Um, some There might be a, sh- a rancher in the crowd, maybe one or two, but um, I've never been up close, well, I've been up close to a sheep, but you know, I've never owned any sheep. Um, but just picture yourself losing something of real value. This had tremendous value. This is how they made their living. So imagine losing something that was really important to you. And the scripture says that the shepherd, they, in the story, saying the shepherd, wouldn't he just leave the 99? and go after the single sheep that had lost their way and escaped because that sheep was now in real danger. On its own, sheep, or on their own sheep, are just um, susceptible to real attack. Wolves, wild beasts, and so that's why they stayed in packs. That's why there was a shepherd who had uh, a staff. He could you know, beat back things with, with his staff if he needed to, but these sheep are his property and his responsibility. It really mattered to, to him. I guess there was, I was reading that ravens, birds, would often try to, when the sheep were together, they would often try to come and dive bomb the sheep, in a sense, trying to peck out their eyes. Because what would happen is if, you know, you take out a sheep's eyes, now he's no longer going to be able to see his way, and he's going to eventually lose his way away from his, the sheep flock or whatever. I'm talking about terms here that I'm not quite used to using, you know, but... But, you, you know, you might think, why would he bother with that single sheep? Why, why go after, why leave the 99 out in the open in the wilderness and then go after this single sheep? Why is Jesus making this comparison? Um, because it seems like it's that sheep's problem for wandering off. And, and it's interesting. In this, in this passage, you just see the shepherd 
all of a sudden he loses something and he drops everything and he goes and finds it and recovers it. And, um, and then you get verses 5 and 6. It says once he's found it, he pulls his friends together. He throws his party. He's rejoicing. He carries, obviously he carries and carries this lost sheep home. But it's a source of tremendous celebration when he finds what had been lost. And again, us, it just sounds a little overboard. Why go after the single sheep? And the reason is because Jesus is trying to communicate what has value. He's saying, he's comparing it to real life. It's not just enough for, for, for God to, to create us and to make us in his image and, and put inside of our hearts a desire to know him. It's not just enough for him to make us all and leave us the way we are, but he actually wants to call us into a real relationship with him. He actually wants to relate personally, individually to us. And so he's making comparison here. When we wander off, when we lose our way in life, God is willing to go after us, to seek us out, to draw us back to him. And this is very much like us. There's a verse here, um, Psalm 119, verses 176, kind of echoes this story. This is The writer of the psalm says, I have strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I have not forgotten your commands. You know, we need, when we escape, when we walk away from God, we need God to draw us back to Him. That's not something usually that we can just muster up strength to pursue a relationship with God. But what you see in the Bible is that God has this pattern of rescuing, of, of going after us, of pursuing us, and drawing us back to Him. He's created us to know Him and to relate to Him. And so in our lives... He, he creates circumstances. He, he introduces us to people who know God. And, he, and he, he's using those things to try to draw us, to pull us back into a relationship with him. God's heart is for those who don't know him. God's heart is for those who have lost their way in life. And if you've come to the point of deciding you want to follow Christ, then you remember what it was like before you knew him. Before And, and you ask all sorts of questions. If God really cared, if he really mattered, well, God... God's heart is, is for us. And, and it's neat. This, this story you know, has, this, it has this line in verse 7. There's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. I've been thinking about this verse all week, just trying to get my mind around it. I don't know how many people are in here, but um, you know, if all of us in this room were, were walking with God and we're living our lives in a way that's pleasing, we're growing, that really pleases God. I mean, there's no doubt that that brings glory to God. He's pleased with that. But the scripture says that when God moves someone's heart and draws them back to him, that brings, that creates more rejoicing in heaven. That's, there's more celebration that goes on for just the one person who turns towards God than there would be for 99 people who, who are on track with God and walking with him. That pleases God, but there's a higher value for those that would find their way back to God. And you're going to see this in this storyline as he, as he, or in the next two stories. Look at, let's look at the next set of verses. This is verses 8 through 10. It gives a really similar story. He says, Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and then loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together. And she says, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost coin. 
And in the same way, I tell you, there is great rejoicing. There is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So it's a very similar story. But in each of these stories, the relative value of the lost items increase. Okay, so it moved from one out of a hundred, just one out of, you know, a bunch, to now one out of ten. This woman had ten silver coins, um, something that was really value, valuable to her. You look it up in the original language, it was, a, it was one, one of these coins would have been the equivalent of a daily wage. Okay, so imagine you had seven, all you had was, I'm sorry, you had ten, uh, ten days worth of, of money, okay, that you'd worked for, and then you lose one of your, your day's wages. And in her, it was, you know, it was in this one coin, and so this had tremendous value for the woman. You know, if she had a hundred days of wages and lost one day, that's, you know, that's not as high of a value. But here, you know, 10% of what she owned had been lost. And, the, you know, Jesus may be referring to what's called, what's known as a dowry. A dowry was uh, what a woman who'd been married was rightfully hers. If the marriage didn't work out and was dissolved, and she could take her dowry with her. And so this might have been all she had. It's a story. He's telling a story. And, and, but tremendous value. Okay? Tremendous value for her. And so Jesus says she uses all her resources, everything available to her, to find that lost coin because of the value. She lights a lamp. She sweeps the floor. And then she carefully searches. And I looked at these words and... You can just imagine this lady down on her knees, looking through the cracks of the stone floor, and just trying to find this, this coin. She's sweeping. She's trying to listen. Do I hear any sound? It's that important to her that she would, she would carefully search. This word basically means that you're careful in the sense of you're waiting. You're waiting until you're not going to do anything else until you find what you're looking for. It's that careful. So... She drops everything. I lost, you know, um, I lose things frequently. But sometimes when I misplace things, like baby wipes, that's important, you know. Sunglasses, I recently lost some sunglasses or keys. And my wife will say, hey, can you go get the, the baby wipes? They're in Gabe's bedroom or one of my sons, you know. They're in the bedroom, so I'll go look and I'm just, nope, not here. I'll go back to her. Couldn't find it. Are you sure you looked really hard? I looked, honey. It's, it, never fail. She'll walk straight in. She'll find the baby wipes. Here you go. And I don't know if this is just a guy's struggle. Anybody else identify? It's hard for us, for some reason, to focus on the details of what gets lost. But I think in this story, maybe that's why Jesus shares that it's a woman who took the time to really carefully look for it. Because this seems more characteristic of women to go and really... You know, with a fine tooth, you know, just really looking. But she doesn't stop hunting until this coin is found. And what we see, again, is we see a picture of just how valuable people are to God. He doesn't just write us off when we get lost. He doesn't write us off because we choose to go our own way in life. But Scripture says He'll go looking for us. He'll pursue a relationship with us even when we're not even interested in Him. Even when He's... When he's nowhere on our radar, God will go after you. 
That's an amazing thing to know that the God who created everything cares about us. That he would take the time for us. And then again in verse 10, same thing happens. She calls all her neighbors, you know, and it creates this great exciting celebration. He compares it to what happens in heaven. He says this great celebration breaks out every time someone turns back to God and, and God recovers someone. And, and really in the verse you see that there's this cosmic, there's this, there's this war going on in, this, in, this, in the spiritual realm that God's angels even rejoice when we follow him. And, you know, and then there's also God's enemies that are trying to keep us from following him. So when somebody decides to turn, it's, it creates this great celebration. We hold baptisms as a church. Scott mentioned that we've got one coming up. And as a church, we use our baptisms as an opportunity to do this. We celebrate, we rejoice over the fact that people are turning their lives to Jesus Christ. And they're, they're surrendering to him. They're saying, I want to let you lead my life. I've been running the show. But, but I give you control of my life. And at our baptisms, what we do is a picture of somebody whose life is being handed over to God and done away with. The old life goes under the water, and it's a picture of God dealing with, nailing to the cross the, our old lives, our sinful ways of living, and raising us up. And it's a picture of what He's going to do in our life, creating a new life in us, giving us the promise of our future in heaven. But that, that's what our baptisms are. They're a great opportunity to celebrate and to rejoice. Look at this last story. Jesus tells a third story. Jesus continued, and there was a man who had two sons. It says, The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. Again, in this story that we're going to look at, the value is increased even more. It goes from 1 to 100 is lost. 1 out of 10 is lost. And now 1 out of 2 gets lost. And we can identify more, I think, with this story because we're people. We're not sheep. We're not money. We're people. And so we get a clear picture of a father who's got two sons. One of them decides he wants to go his own way in life. He, he does something that was kind of unheard of. It was unheard of in ancient times for a, a son to go and ask for their father's inheritance or for their inheritance early because essentially what he was saying is father i wish you were already dead because you don't get your inheritance until your father passes away and so he's basically saying i wish you were already at that point because i'd really like to enjoy my my inheritance now so it's really insulting what he's what he's doing here and he goes and says not long after that the younger son got together all he had And he set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. You know, it's a pretty common scenario. We get, you know, we get what we want in life, and we we choose our plans, and and then we blow through our resources pretty quickly. And then we find ourselves empty. You know, I've been through this cycle before, and maybe you've been there too, where you just, man, you, you, you've got your plans, and then, and then you're right back at square one after you blow through your resources. And that's what happens in this story. It says, verse 15, So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to, feed, to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach 
with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he had come to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. He said, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. And so it says he got up and he went off to his father. Yeah, this is, the story is really interesting. He's working. He's working for a man. So he starts feeding the man's pigs. This was the lowest possible job in the Jewish society. Because to eat pork, you know, Jews, that's off limits for, the Jew, for, for a Jewish person. And so to go and to feed swine, pigs, and then to be desiring the food that they eat because you're not even getting enough food, um, you can just see how low this person went. You know, he went down to the bottom. And then it says he came to his senses. He realized... What am I doing? My father's servants have food to spare, and here I am starving. And, but because of his actions, this is what I want to clue in on, verses 18 and 19. Because of his actions, he felt like he was unworthy to go and ask his father for help. He just felt like, you know, I'm not even worthy to be called your son. Just make me a slave in your house. And I think that's how we feel. I think when we walk away from God or when we... If, if, if you've never even had God on your radar, you just feel like, you know what, I'm not even worthy for God to pursue me. Why would God do that after the way I've treated him, after the way I've responded or to him? And that's what you see in the story is he just doesn't feel like his father would take him back. He feel like he'd been disqualified. But then you get this picture in verses 20 through 24, and this is a picture of God. It says, So he got up and he went off to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, and he was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. And the son said to him, and he starts off into his speech, Father, I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And it's like the father interrupts him and just says, you know. The father said to his servant, quick, bring the best robe. Put it on, his, put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead, and he's alive again. He was lost, and he's found. So they began to celebrate. You know what this is? is it just shows us again how God pursues. This is what's on God's heart. People are so valuable that he cares about us as individuals. He doesn't look at us and say, that's, that's my people that I've created, and he deals with us individually. He knows our name. He knows your name. And, and, and I just love this picture. He loves us so much that he goes to great lengths to reach out to us, to reconnect with us. The picture of the story is, you know, he's, the father is waiting on the porch in a sense, and he sees his son from a distance, and he runs to his son. And that, that's really what God does in our life. Is he, he's doing things that draw us back to him. He's pursuing us. He's, making, he's taking the initiative in our lives to get our attention to bring us back to Him. All because of His love. Look at Romans 5, 6-8. through 8. It says this. It says, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time, and He died for us sinners. Now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is, willing, who is especially good. But God showed His great love for us by sending Christ 
to die for us while we were still sinners. So it's because of his love, because he loves us, that God pursues each one of us as individuals. And then he rejoices over us when we turn to him. He he is pursuing you right now. God is always working to draw us into a relationship with him. Sometimes we're just not listening. Sometimes we just, we're, we're intent on going our own way in life. And we fail to yield to what he's doing. But God is pursuing us. And maybe you've planned your speech out and you're thinking, you know, I just, I need to make my life better before God could come in. I need to rearrange some things and then, and then I'll give God control. And so you're, you're creating this big speech for the day that you're going to reconcile with God. And God is saying, just like the Father said, save the speech. I just, I just want you back and I want to celebrate with you. I've, I've made this possible. I hope that through these three stories that he tells, that in some way... Um, God has, God has spoken to you about how much He loves you and how much He's pursuing you. There's, there's a few possible steps maybe you could take in response to what God has done. Um, three that I would suggest. The first one is this. is Tonight there's a Discovering Faith dinner. It's, a, it's from 6 to 8. It's two hours. I'd encourage you to come to this tonight. It's at 6 p.m. If you'd like to hear some stories. What we do at this dinner is we share some stories. There's some people that share stories about how they've turned back to God. We've all lost our way in life. And so the stories will be, this is how I came back to God. And then there's another person that will be sharing what the Bible says it means to become a Christian. How do you connect with God and nail that issue down? Um, so it's free. There's child care. Um, if you're planning to come, if you, if you hadn't even thought about coming and you'd like to come, there's, there's definitely room. If you could just let us know by circling, I think it's option A on your welcome card. That would help us for planning. Um, and then in two weeks, we've planned a baptism. Um, Baptism is a time to rejoice, and so I'd encourage you to come and rejoice. This is a response that I think we can do together, is to rejoice with those who've decided to, to return to God or to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. And in a sense, we're living out the picture that we see of what happens in heaven when people come to know Jesus. And then the last thing is just maybe stop trying to earn God's approval and just rest in His grace. You can live a roller coaster life, and you make choices that lead you away from God, you can get beaten up and it can keep you very far from ever. It can keep you far from him out of guilt and shame. But if you've come to the point where you've received, you've responded to his offer, then you don't have to be buried in guilt and shame. God has dealt with that. You can just come back to him and, and he'll receive you. Let, let's go to the Lord in prayer. And we're going to sing a few more songs. Father, we thank you for we thank you so much for your love for us, God. And all throughout the pages of the Bible, we, we read stories about just how much you love us. And in different ways you communicate those truths to us. God, we thank you for these stories. Lord, I pray that these stories would um, in some way connect with each one of us and that we would be reminded of just how valuable we are to you. Lord, I pray for, for those that are right on the edge that, that have not yet decided to follow Christ. I pray that you would um, continue to draw them into a real relationship with you. And Father, for, for those of us who who make mistakes, which we all do, God, and who just deal, are dealing with a tremendous amount of guilt and shame. God, I pray that you, through your, your grace and your forgiveness, Lord, would just release us from those things, Lord, and help us to relate to you in freedom. We thank you so much for just the way you love us and how your love, it, um, 
it really sets a pattern for how we can relate to you and 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 then live out this life in, in relation to others. We thank you for each person that's here, God, and we pray that you would fulfill your purposes in our lives. And God, you'd help us to take steps towards you. In Jesus' name, amen.